In the fourth vision, there's a total of 150 prophecies. You can literally number them. And I detail with great pain those 135 prophecies and how God literally, actually, to the letter, fulfilled them. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we begin the conclusion of our study of the book of Daniel as Dr. Brogy looks at chapter 12. This chapter can best be described as an epilogue to Daniel's fourth vision, which we looked at earlier last week. Our message today is entitled, God's Final Forecast. And we'll see that this time is described in the last chapter of Daniel as a time of great distress. Would you take your Bibles this morning and turn to Daniel chapter 12? If you are joining us for the first time, we've been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this prophet. This is my 20th message in this series as we come to the final study in this book. And what a study has it been as we began with Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and modeled for us how a believer could live holy in the midst of a corrupt society. We've seen their spiritual integrity modeled, but we've also studied future prophecy as it relates to all the nations of the world, but especially to the nation of Israel. We have discovered that what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament, the book of Daniel is to the Old Testament, and that it is very, very difficult to understand Revelation without understanding Daniel. And that's why we first have looked at this book before we begin our study of the Revelation. And that especially applies when we come here to the 12th chapter. Now, just a review of the book. If you remember, here's the chart. It divides into two portions. Hopefully, you have this memorized by now. You have Daniel and his friends, chapters 1 through 6. We call that the historical section of Daniel. There's a little bit of prophecy in it, but it's largely historical. Then when you come to 7 through 12, you have Daniel and his people's future. It's largely prophetical with a little bit of history mixed in. And the whole book underscores and emphasizes that God is sovereign, the sovereignty of God. We saw that the events of chapters 1 through 6 happen chronologically, and yet there are some clear time gaps in the chronology. And so we meet Daniel as a teenager, then we saw him as a man first in his 40s, then in his 60s, and then in his late 80s, maybe even early 90s. The first six chapters have time gaps in them, but nonetheless, they happen chronologically. When you come to the four visions in the prophetic section in chapters 7 through 12, they also, the visions happen one after the other, but they don't all come after chapters 1 through 6. And if you don't understand that, the book becomes a little bit confusing. So as you can see on this next chart, we saw the Babylonian captivity when Nebuchadnezzar comes and carries away Daniel and his three friends. Unfortunately, most of us know them by their three pagan names, not the names that God gave them, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then we saw Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the second chapter that Daniel interpreted. In the third chapter, we saw that image and what it represented, and then how God humbles uh, a prideful, boastful man in the fourth chapter. But between the fourth and the fifth chapter, 
after Nebuchadnezzar's pride and before the fall of Babylon to the Persians happens two visions found in the prophetic section. A vision that concerns the time of the Gentiles in the seventh chapter and the ram and the he-goat vision in the eighth chapter. But then between chapters 5 and 6 is another vision between the fall of Babylon and Daniel when he's an old man in the lion's den. We saw the vision of chapter 9 took place, the 70 weeks vision. And then after the sixth chapter comes the fourth vision as unfolded in chapters 10, 11, and 12. Now my Bible ends with Daniel chapter 12, but... When I teach the book of Daniel, I realize that some people have a Bible that has 14 chapters in it, the 13th chapter being the story of Susanna, and the the 13th chapter of Susanna, and the 14th chapter being the story of Bell and the Dragon. But those are not part of the book of Daniel. Those are not inspired by God. Between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, between Matthew and Malachi, there were some historical books that were written. We call them Apocrypha. And there are 14 to be specific. Eleven of those have made their way into the Roman Catholic Bible. But neither Jews in the Old Testament era or in the first century, or to this day ever saw them as inspired. None of the church fathers whose writings are prolific ever saw them as inspired. None of the Protestant reformers saw them as inspired. The early church didn't see them as inspired. And evangelical Christians today don't see them as inspired. They are interesting, but they are not part of the Word of God. And to add them to the last two chapters of the book of Daniel, I think is somewhat dishonest and deceptive. So there are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel that God gave us. Now, if you want to understand why the early church did not deem them to be scriptures and why the Jews did not, you might want to take my course in the Institute of Biblical Studies on Bibliology. It's not for the faint of heart. There's over 500 pages of notes, but one of the sections deals with how did we get the canon of Scripture. Now, with that said, let's read at least the first four verses of our text. Daniel chapter 12. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep and the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase." Now, let's zoom in on the context. Remember, four visions here in the second half of the book. Unlike the visions that are found in the first half of the book, in which Daniel interprets them, they're given to other people and he interprets them. Here in the second half of the book, the visions are given directly to Daniel in one of God's angelic messages interpreted for him. Now, if you remember, in this final vision, the fourth vision, 
It's really found in three chapters, 10, 11, and 12. The 10th chapter, if you remember, was a prologue or introduction to the vision. Daniel is earnestly seeking God in prayer. And in the midst of that, over three weeks, he is given a picture of what is happening in the invisible realm, the dark side, and how angels, even this morning, are warring, that there are angels, fallen angels and holy angels that are represented and assigned to the different nations and countries of the world, and that there's a battle going on in that realm and even amongst God's people. And then we saw the vision actually given in the 11th chapter. It's the longest vision in all of the Bible, and it's really concluded in the prologue of the book or the conclusion of the book uh, in the 12th chapter. Now, we saw in the first 35 verses that there were specifically 135 prophecies made. In the fourth vision, there's a total of 150 prophecies. You can literally number them. And I detail with great pain those 135 prophecies and how God literally actually to the letter fulfilled them. And I believe one of the reasons God details what was future to Daniel that was all fulfilled before the coming of the Lord Jesus the first time, he details all of those to remind us how God fulfills prophecy. He literally fulfills it. He does it exactly like he says. And I say that because there are Christians even today who kind of spiritualize their interpretation of prophecy, and they don't take it at face value, yet all of the prophecies for the first coming were literally fulfilled, and that's how we can expect the prophecies for the second coming to be fulfilled. If you remember in verse 36 of chapter 11, he begins with the coming Antichrist, that man of sin who is going to come on the scene who will go against the people of Israel. And so when you come to chapter 12, this is a conclusion. This is a postscript to the vision. It's the rest of the story, so to speak. And it's an important chapter. And so there are three underlying principles that I don't want you to miss. They are there in your note-taking outline. If you're with us for the first time, you might want to jot them down for further reflection. One concerns the tribulation, the other concerns the tombs, and finally the times. We begin with the tribulation that will be unleashed. The tribulation that will be unleashed. Now in verse 1 of the chapter, there is an absolutely incredible conversation between God's Daniel and angel, and this angel, Michael, uh, with Daniel. It's absolutely amazing. Now remember, the previous paragraph that we studied in our last time concerns the coming of the ruling Antichrist. This section deals with the people who are being ruled, namely Israel. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> now at that time, that's an important phrase. And so that we couldn't miss it, the Spirit of God put it twice in the verse for emphasis. Now, at that time, Michael, at that time, your people, everyone who is written in the book will be rescued. So when you read twice over at that time, and when God wants to emphasize something, He does it different ways in Scripture, but one way is through repetition. And so the careful reader of the Bible is forced to ask, at what time? At the time described at the end of chapter 11. Remember, the chapter and verse divisions are artificial. They are helpful 
to find our way around the Bible, but they are added over a thousand years after the Scripture is completed. He's talking about the time frame when the Antichrist, the one world ruler, is reigning during the time of the tribulation. And he tells Daniel through this messenger, Michael, at least two principal things, two insights he gives him. First, we learn something about the prince himself, the prince of this time. Look at verse 1. It says, now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. Now, Michael, the archangel, he's the only one named and deemed as an archangel in the Bible. He is pictured throughout the Scripture as the protector of Israel. He appears only four times in the Bible. And in each case, he is protecting the nation of Israel. We are told that he is the one who stands guard over the sons of your people. Now, Daniel is a Hebrew. He is a Jew. And so he's talking about Michael being the protector of the Jewish people. Michael the archangel who's guarding the people of Israel is going to arise. Well, what is he going to do? Well, we're not told in this text of Scripture. But we are told in the New Testament. We are given divine commentary in the book of Revelation. You might want to put in the margin next to this, Revelation 12. And listen to verse 7 of that chapter. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels, waging war with the dragon. And so there's a coming war during the time of the great tribulation. It's going on today, but I mean it's a specific war that's going to result in a specific event that we're going to see in a moment. And when this happens, God's holy angels are going to wage war against Satan here called in the Revelation, the dragon. In fact, there are 18 different names given to Satan in the Bible. You should know your enemy. If you are a Marine this morning, one of the things that your commanders teach you is you must know your enemy so that you can properly face them. We need to know our enemy as believers. And when you even study the names of Satan, you discover what he is like. One, he is called Satan, that's one of his most popular names in Scripture. He is called the devil, Diabolos. The word Diabolos means slanderer. He is a slanderer. In fact, you see the devil all the way through the pages of Scripture, from the first book to the last, but there are only three instances where you actually hear his voice, where he speaks. The first time you hear him speak, he, as the Diabolos, the slanderer, slanders God before men. And he tells Adam and Eve that God is cheating them, that he is ripping them off. The next time you hear the devil speak, it's in the book of Job chapters 1 and 2, and he is slandering man before God. And the third time you hear him speak, it's in the temptation, Matthew 4, Luke 4, and he is slandering not God, not man, but the God-man, the Lord Jesus himself. He's also called the accuser in Revelation 12, 10 and that he lies about believers. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's called the God of this world. He is the one who is energizing the philosophies that this world is embracing. And those philosophies will get more and more evil as we move to the end of time. He's called the serpent of old because he is a deceiver. He's called the evil one. Literally. Why? Because his nature is intrinsically evil. He's called the tempter because he solicits people to evil. He's called a roaring lion 
because his personality is out of destruction. The devil hates you this morning, and he wants to ruin and destroy your life, and if he can, he will, and if you let him. He's called the ruler of this world in John 12, 31 by the Lord Jesus because Adam gave up that right to rule when he yielded to the devil. He's called an angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, and that he is a deceiver through his pastors, through his false pastors, false teachers, Paul speaks. And here uh, in the Revelation, he's called the dragon. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels, waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. Now we need to ask a question. What happens in this great heavenly battle when Michael, the holy archangel with holy angels, wage war against the dragon, Satan, and his fallen angels? Well, uh, the Revelation tells us in the 12th chapter and the 9th verse, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan, who is operating this morning in the heavenly realm, during the time of the tribulation, is literally going to be thrown down to the earth. And when that happens, he and his fallen angels are going to wreak havoc on the planet like this world has never seen. And so in Revelation 12, in verse 12, it says, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. 1260 days to be specific. This will happen right in the middle of the final seven years. And so with that in mind, let me read verse 1 again of our text. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Here you have a diagram of two great events in the future. Christ is ascended up into heaven, and uh, you can see that first line all the way through the rapture. The first line represents Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came and the church was born. The church, the body of Christ, is a New Testament phenomenon. Jesus spoke of it in the future. I will build my church. It didn't start, the Bible teaches, until the day of Pentecost, but it will end with the rapture of the church, the next great event in human history. There's a short period of time, we're not told, could be days or weeks, but a short space of time before a man comes on the scene called the Antichrist, the prince who is to come in Daniel chapter 9, the little horn, 30-some names given of him in the Bible, who will make a treaty with Israel. Right in the middle of that seven-year peace treaty, he will break it, and he will commit what Jesus referred to as the abomination of desolation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, we've studied that, he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So right in the middle of this seven-year period, Daniel 9 tells us, Jesus affirms it in Matthew 24, the Antichrist will go into a rebuilt temple, make himself out to be God, and at that same time, right in the middle of that seven-year period, this war in heaven between Michael's angels and the devil's angels will result in the dragon, Satan, and his fallen angels coming down to the earth. And the worst half of human history begins to unfold. 
So there's the prince of this time, but it logically brings us now into the distress of this time, the distress that follows. Now we read, at that time, Michael the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress, such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. So this is an unprecedented time in human history. We call it the tribulation period. But it's not a time that is first taught in the New Testament. It actually goes all the way back to Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses spoke of this time. When you are in distress, speaking to the Jewish people, and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days, and that's a phrase we have studied in the book of Daniel. We saw the distinction between the phrase last days and the latter days. The latter days refer to the very end of time before the Messiah comes to rule and reign upon the earth. And Moses wrote, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. He's speaking about the disobedience of the Jewish people, but there is coming a day and the end of time when they will be born again as we are today as Gentiles. Now, just a remnant of Jews today in the world believe, about 200,000 in our country. If you go to Israel, in every virtual small community, there's a, a congregation of Messianic Jews. But for the most part, of the 12 and a half, 13 million Jews on the earth, most of them are in unbelief. But that is going to change, as Paul teaches in Romans 11. In the latter days, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 37. Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's stress, distress, but he will be saved from it. The time of Jacob's distress. Some of your translations call it the time of Jacob's trouble. That's this last seven years that we're speaking of. Listen to what the prophet Joel said. Joel chapter 2, verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it. A unique time in human history. And Jesus taught that this time unfolds like the world has never seen it, right at the midpoint of the tribulation. For then, he said, there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world, nor until now. Matthew 24, verse 21, is virtually a direct quote of what we are reading in Daniel 12 and verse 1. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation or before that time. Now, some of my amillennial friends say that the tribulation period is over. It all happened in the first century. There's no coming Antichrist. He's already been here. Some call him Nero and different people. And, but Jesus put this event at the end of time, as does the prophet Daniel. This man of sin has not yet come. There have always been a spirit of Antichrist, but the Antichrist is yet to come. But there are some who, because of presuppositions they make about the Jewish people, I don't know what motivates it. I don't want to say an anti-Semitism. But certainly whatever motivates it, they're wrong. 
God is not done with the Jewish people. He is going to culminate history through them. Just as he used them to bring the first coming, he is going to use them to bring the second coming. In Revelation 3 and verse 10, Jesus spoke of this coming time on the earth when it's a time of horror. Listen to what he said to the church at Philadelphia. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I will also come to keep you from this hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Jesus speaks of an hour of testing that will come upon the whole world. There has never been an hour of testing in recorded human history that has affected the entire globe, but it is coming, and Jesus tells us when. And so, um, uh, remember, he uh, says here it's about to come, and we're going to study that phrase in the Revelation to see how it is used. He said, oh, if it was about to come, why didn't it happen to the church at Philadelphia? Because God is on a different timetable. One day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years to the Lord is like a day. So in essence, he's only been gone two days. But there is coming a time in human history that is unprecedented that the prophet Daniel links to the latter days like Moses does, and the Lord Jesus links to his second coming to the earth. And so then John will say to the church at Philadelphia, or Jesus does, he writes it, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not to the church, but to the churches. Churches just like this one. Friends, this is a promise that if you have been born again, you will not be here for the hour of testing. You will not be here for the great tribulation. God will take you out before that time in human history. But my friend, if you are an unbeliever, and Jesus comes and catches up his church, you will enter into the very worst time this world has ever imagined, a time of persecution, a time of suffering, a time of distress and devastation that is still in front of us. Now, that's the tribulation that will be unleashed. Secondly, I want you to think with me about the tombs, the tombs that will be unsealed, the tombs that are going to be unsealed. And so beginning in the middle of verse 2, the prophet Daniel speaks of three groups of people. First, he describes the saved people, the saved who are rescued, the saved who are rescued. Listen now to verse 4 of Daniel 12. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. As horrible as the coming tribulation period will be, there are actually some people who will be spared during this time of human history. Jesus made that clear in Matthew 24, 22. Listen to these words. And if those days had not been cut short, the days of the great tribulation, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That statement by Jesus himself plainly tells us that not everyone will lose their head like most Gentiles who come to faith during that time. Not everyone will be headed. Not everyone will lose their life. That there will be people who will survive the great tribulation period. We are in the church age, that time God has graciously given for his church, for his people to be established. But we know that this time could end abruptly in the twinkle of an eye, we're told. If you've not yet made a decision for Christ, don't put it off. The next period on God's prophetic calendar will be a time of tribulation for those who don't have Jesus as their Lord. 
If you'd like to know how to be saved, let us send you a free pamphlet and DVD entitled, Would You Like God as Your Friend? Just call 877-787-7478 and ask for Would You Like God as Your Friend? And to listen again to today's study entitled, God's Final Forecast, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at God's final forecast. Join us then as we search the scriptures.